This is GamesAtWork.biz, your weekly podcast about gaming, technology, and play. Your hosts are Michael Martin, Andy Piper, and Michael Rowe. The thoughts and opinions on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and are not the opinions of any organization which they have been, are, or may be affiliated with. This is episode 398, Stable Diffusion Genius. Hello and welcome again to the last episode of GamesAtWork.biz for the year 2022. Hi, this is Michael Martin. I am joined here by fellow co-host, Mr. Andy Piper. Uh, two of us uh, doing what the continuity co-host of Andy <laughs> normally does. Hey, Andy. Hi, Michael. Yeah, we're um, we're missing uh, Michael Rowe this week. Um, he's taking a well-deserved week off, uh, but he's been busy in our absence. Uh, he... Uh, published a um, special episode last week for us, and that was a recording of our uh, joint, uh, I guess, interview kind of panel uh, presentation, if you like, at the BCS, um, the Chartered Institute for IT in the UK. We uh, did a show there with our good friend Epred. That's been published as a video by the BCS themselves. So if you want to see what we look like, then you can go and check that out on their YouTube channel, or you can just go back to our podcast feed in between episodes 397 and 398 you'll find our bcs special show so that's the audio only version and then michael i I believe also joined our friend ryan and graham on their week's end yeah on the week's end uh this week and uh had some fun over there been a fun couple of weeks uh in between regular recordings but here we are we're back and we're ready to close out the year uh, in, in a strong way, too, because, boy, do we have a ton of le- links to choose from. There, there's sort of a, a whole year in review in a lot of ways for the titles that, that we have selected here for you. And we're going to start with a, a tweet uh, by a Mr. Ben Tossel, who writes something uh, called Ben's Bytes, which is a daily AI newsletter. And um, this tweet caught my eye because he gave a listing of artificial intelligence tools that didn't exist one year ago. And he lists a whole range of them. We've talked recently about ChatGPT. We've talked about Dolly. We've talked about MidJourney and Stable Diffusion. There's a whole bunch of them in there. And it's incredible to think, Andy, that in the span of one year, all of these tools and capabilities have reached um, maybe not mass adoption, but significant adoption enough to show that there's a a lot of use cases for AI and it's growing fast. Yeah, there was um, a bit of pushback uh, onto the list that he published on his tweet, um, people pointing out that some of these things did exist before 2022 uh, or 2021, a year ago when he's he's saying, you know, ChatGPT, GPT-3, DALI, other things didn't exist one year ago. So that's one year back from December 29th, 2022, when he posted this list. Um, And then people jumped in the mentions and said, no, actually, (laughs) actually, but I think you'll find that uh, some of these things, GPT-3 was released on June the 11th, 2020, for example. Um, And as he then pointed out, okay, look, yeah, I made some uh, mistakes (laughs) or I made some generalizations here, uh, or I'm a little bit off in some of them. I meant the versions that we could all play with the general availability in ways that we could use them. Yeah, I think it is a really interesting list. I think certainly most of these things are things that we've spoken about on our show this year uh, in some level. A number of them are 
variations of the sort of the GPT uh, engine model. Definitely worth thinking about in terms of whether or not 2022 was a year that was big for this AI machine assistance, machine learning space. Yep. Yep. An excellent point too. I mean, anytime you create a list like this, there's bound to be uh, one or two things that are a little bit off and, and that's the power of the hive mind to uh, help uh, nudge into corrective action. It is really just in my mind, still incredible to think about where we've been and what's happened here. And and some of these things have really, in my mind, uh, been becoming everyday occurrences. Uh, there's like the predictive next word in a sentence that shows up in Outlook, mm -hmm. for example, when I'm composing an email. And that's been around for a long time, right? It's been around for a while. But it, and they're based on some variation of these kind of tools at some at some space, generally speaking. The other link that we have immediately following this in our uh, list to cover here is quite interesting because it calls out Core ML, which is Apple's technology around machine learning, and how that's been optimized specifically for stable diffusion in the latest versions mm -hmm. of macOS and iOS, and optimizing it specifically for Apple Silicon devices as well. The story or the paper here goes on to refer to the public debut of Stable Diffusion in August 2022. And then how that's yep. been adapted, extended into languages other than English, applied to open source projects like Hugging Face uh, diffusers, really talking about how this is now just available to run on Apple Silicon in, a, in an optimized manner through the Core ML engine. So whether or not you as a mainstream user of Apple technology or Google technology or whichever set of tools you're interested in, whether you're very aware of the, the names of the technology and the APIs and the algorithms and things that are underneath it all, they're becoming more accessible to you as a day-to-day -day user. And, and, and will probably become uh, more and more accessible and available even in a low-code, no-code kind of environment too as you go forward. That uh, you won't need to know all there is to know about the APIs and you'll be able to essentially construct a tool chain to move from one to the next. But one thing you might want to do is to be able to spot when these things have been used, particularly in very broad areas. So I came across this week a question on the MicroPython GitHub discussions where somebody wanted to make two Raspberry Pi Picos talk to one another using uh, their Wi-Fi capability, uh, Pico Ws, and had asked a, an AI tool, I think it was uh, possibly even ChatGPT, to give them, them some code. And the code it had come up with was pointless and useless um, and inaccurate <laughs> and did not work. And several people replied to the person asking the question saying, don't use an AI for this because... They're just going to cobble together some things that look right from various sources. And Stack Overflow, as we talked about, I think, a couple of weeks ago, when you and I did a, last did a deep dive on AI and this space, Stack Overflow immediately, almost immediately, put the brakes on answers being um, heavily generated by those tools because the moderators would then have to go and fix them, correct them. There's a great story here in the MIT Technology Review uh, about the ability to spot when text has been generated by an AI. It, it does. And the the to too long didn't read version of this is where an AI generated set of text is more likely to include words like the more frequently 
um, instead of some of the rare words. And that would make sense when you think about how would you train an AI to do writing that it's not going to come up with rare, rare words. It won't have spelling mistakes like you see for some of those Nigerian princes who are trying to relieve you of your hard-earned cash. And the ability for everything to be grammatically correct is certainly known art in many AI environments as well. So becoming more adept at determining when you've got something that was generated by an AI versus generated by a human is going to become a more and more interesting thing to do in the future. And that very same point that you just picked out of this story around the, the word the showing up too many times, you know, the, the flip side is apparently that in the study where they identified that, that human participants tended to think that very clean text containing fewer mistakes uh, looks better, must have been written by a person because it's not making mistakes. Whereas in fact, if you're writing text yourself, then you are likely to make mistakes or make a typo or use some form of slang. I remember when I did technical writing training many, many years ago when I worked at IBM and there was a really good course um, internally that guided us towards producing technical documentation that was uh, very clear, very translatable because it was clear. So avoiding mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. aphorism, slang, um, anything that, that might be difficult to, to translate. And I think that certainly when I speak in public, that same thought process has helped me to think about how I present. That's not to say that I never use those sleights of hand or, you know, shortening of words. I definitely do that. But it, this is very interesting to think about the fact that if you think how much effort goes into producing for, for humans to produce clean text versus a machine, and then which style is most likely to be seen as correct by another human, it's, uh, it's fascinating. The, the notion of authenticating text here, there, there's some elements in this article too. We won't deep dive on every aspect of it, but authenticating text made me think too, Andy, about, well, if you or I author something, mm -hmm. uh, could we include essentially a watermark or a, a pretty good privacy type key that says, I did this, right? I created it. It's me. It's not somebody else. And that led my brain down the whole rabbit hole of the, um, <laughs> that I had talked about this with my kids, the radar detector detector. So, so you could have a machine that detects radar detection machines, and then you get a little crazy before too long because you could create essentially a machine to detect radar detecting detecting machines too. Oh yeah. So how do you get to a point where you, you can say that authentically, something was created by a human and authentically something was created by a particular bot with a particular version control versus something that is deep faked or spoofed. How do you get to the point where the turtles all the way down are invisible turtles all the way down? Exactly. Exactly. Michael, that was, that was for you. <laughs> <laughs> Very intriguing thoughts. Let's move on from the text-based and image-based to three-dimensional. So OpenAI, um, they announced that they'd released uh, a new model called Point E, which generates 3D models. Now, this is interesting to me because in the last month or so, um, I've been lent a 3D printer for the first time uh, by a friend of mine from uh, the Ooh. makerspace I go to. 
And so I've started to play with that machine. Um, it's a, a few generations old because my friend has got a newer one, which is why I've been, I'm the grateful recipient of this as a, as a, as a lended uh, item. Whilst I've been on vacation, I've been reading t a ton about 3D printing and getting really involved and interested in the things you can do with it. But one thing that I know that I am currently not good at is the 3D modeling. So the ability to potentially get an AI or something else to generate something that's more or less okay for me uh, is, is really interesting. Now, an interesting element of this is that not every 3D model that is generated by something like Pointy is going to be very printable because 3D printers don't always work very well with, uh, for example, overhangs. Certain things are just practically, physically not very straightforward to, to build in these printers today. But it's an interesting idea. This uh, thing can create 3D models of things like, I mean, one of the examples I give you here is the old sort of 1980s style 3D glasses with the red and green uh, lenses. Mm -hmm. So some, some frames, some headphones, things that, you know, might be practical. These are all sitting in the open AI family, right? So mm -hmm. they're presumably interoperable as you think about them. So you could start with the idea of uh, use some text generation uh, to say, hey, give me something that uh, is, is descriptive of da-da-da. And then from there, it's easy to create a, a two-dimensional image, right? And then from there, it's easy to create a 3D model. So the, the thing that's going through my head here is that we're, we're looking at the basic building blocks for replication. Yeah. When you ask for a tea, Earl Grey hot, you really don't necessarily care what mug it's in. You just care that it's a tea and it's to your proper temperature and it has the a proper steeping and it comes and that's, that's what you want. So there's a lot of inf inference that'll happen behind the scenes by the AI ML to get to that stage. And these are all steps that are taking us into science fact off of what was imagined as science fiction. Well, let's 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 leapfrog off of this and springboard off of this. I mean, there's a ton of stuff to read in this article from TechCrunch as well about the failure cases, uh, some of which are quite amusing, um, and the ethics as well, um, and <laughs> things around. Um, as again, we've spoken about the kinds of uh, biases that can be introduced by uh, the uh, corpus that is used to train the thing. But whilst we're in this sort of digital to physical space and talking about replicators. Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk about something else. Mm -hmm. So did you know, Michael, that the default plastics that you use for 3D printers are based on starches? Um, so the, the default filament you get for a filament um, printer is, is generally speaking, a starch, which is biodegradable. Um, these are things I've been learning, the PLA type filament. There are different types of uh, filament. Now, oh. whilst we're in this space... Um, there was also a story that came from via the interesting engineering website um, about two weeks ago, I think I shared it with, or we, we shared it between ourselves. Scientists have those, those clever boffins in, in, the, in the lab coats, <laughs> as we know, that, that are the clustering in their also, labs. Also from MIT. Also from MIT, MIT incidentally. So there's in, another in their, thing. Yep. In their labs, um, building, uh, being able to generate 3D prints with wood using lab-grown wood. And now, in fact, if you read into this story, 
Um, they are not, you know, literally printing trees. Um, they are creating wood from a from cells of a flowering plant, which is kind of a woody type plant. They're literally laying down the cells of this stuff to generate wood. Now, there's a ton of extra work involved here. You have to do things like treating them with a liquid medium and, and gels and other things. But if you watch the video that's embedded and look at some of the things that they've done, this is again, fascinating. Um, it's not the sort of thing that's going to lead to, you know, um, table rosewood tall from a replicator in, uh, in, a, in an instant, but it may reduce the number of trips to Ikea in the future, uh, depending on how much of a cell solution you've got to play with. Yeah, I, I I found this to be incredibly fascinating too, because wood as a medium is something that, uh, if you're skilled in in how you work with it, you can do some rather incredible things to get it to bend properly and to uh, create the shapes that you want. But it's not a simple, easy thing to do. Um, being able to three D print something that has all the characteristics of wood could be really, really quite incredible too. And and the notion of how does this become more sustainable and how do you reduce deforestation and those sorts of things and, and uh, decrease your reliance on plastics actually is another interesting angle for, for all of this too. If you've got time to visit our uh, list of links in our blog post uh, for this, the, the companies are podcast every week, then um, if you click through that interesting engineering article, they, this, this actual story is part of a series uh, of their uh, of the interesting engineering's 22 best innovations of 2022 and some of which we've spoken about uh, other one, others we haven't spoken about on the show but there's some really cool stuff in there including VR headsets Dali and things we, we've spoken about in the in this show episode but it's uh it's super fun and since we're at the end of the year and about to tip over into a new one I thought that would be a, a fun thing for for folks to go explore Absolutely. So, so Andy, this next one I think is really uh, a great article with you in mind because with your interest in uh, in hacking and your interest in various maker style builds, uh, we have an uh, an article here about capturing images from a Game Boy and being able then to stream, record, or just otherwise you know, deal with that video content directly from the Game Boy. Gosh, when were they? When were these used? I'm, I'm not even remembering exactly. The I Game Boy, but it was. It's, it, yeah, it's been yeah. a long, long while. 1980 something, 90 something. I almost say 89. Right? I'm looking this up and seeing uh, 89. Yes, first released in Japan 89. on the April ah, the 21st, 89. And I got, I got the date, I got the year right, just off the top of my head, which I'm quite proud of. <laughs> That's quite good. This is insanely cool and fun and clever. So. They have built a cartridge. Um, this is on hackster.io, which I visit quite often. Somebody's built a cartridge, which enables you to directly capture and then stream, directly capture from um, your Game Boy. Now, it sits in between the Game Boy and the cartridge and essentially creates video because of the Game Boy didn't have HDMI, doesn't have HDMI output because there was no such thing as HDMI or even HD in, um, in 1989. So it lets you play the original game on the original hardware. It's an interceptor. So it's really interesting because the Game Boy itself doesn't output video to the cartridge slot, which is what this is plugged into. So this 
cartridge, uh, regular Game Boy cartridges plug directly into the Game Boy's memory bus. So you've only got access to the memory. So what you're having to do is inside this little interceptor board, uh, run a custom emulator, which plays the actual game and then exactly matches the game to create a video stream that goes out of the HDMI port or the USB-C port to HDMI. It's just so clever. It doesn't capture audio. Um, so you'd need to do that via the, the headphone jack. Uh, and it would only work with the original Game Boy games, not with the color or advanced ones. Just so clever. <laughs> it's extremely cool. Uh, and I love it. It's, it's one of those things that you don't need at all. Um, and you could, of course, without, you could do all of this in an emulator on the desktop, but then you're not playing on the original hardware. So uh, you you kind of lose that that element of it. Just gobsmacked at how clever some hackers are. This this is fabulous because now now you could do your your own Tetris speed run or something, <laughs> yeah. Without resorting to uh, pointing a camera at the the Game Boy on the table right. and and having it stay in the focal length where you. Um, so as long as we're on the visual side of things, uh, just as we were going through the show run here, Andy, you came across, uh, an, an announcement from Meta acquiring a company called LuxExcel. This is a smart eyewear company based in the Netherlands. And it seems as though the two companies have worked together before the company LuxExcel apparently has been. Uh, using 3D printing to make prescription lenses for glasses and then looking into smart lenses that could be printed with LCD displays and film inside them, for example, or integrated into them. We spoke before about the most recent uh, Meta VR headset. I think their continued push into this space is, you know, they're not stopping in terms of either the the virtual worlds at Meta, uh, metaverse stuff or the AR um, visualization wearable stuff. I think we we've seen them, I would say stumble with the, with the most recent headset. Um, the reviews consistently say it's nice, but it's too heavy to wear on a rate on a, on an ongoing basis uh, compared to even the previous generation. And it's only really a sort of, relatively small upgrade unless you're doing the the pass through with with the full color which gives you the ar piece it'll be interesting to see what they do with this there's also uh, a note in here that the ftc have attempted to block meta's purchase of uh, within another company mm -hmm. so this could get have some some scrutiny at the, as, as the year closes out meta seem to be continuing down the AR, VR, metaverse uh, road that they've been talking about. Very cool. Yeah, and I'm just taking a look at within as well to see what uh, what their capabilities are, and it looks pretty interesting about their connections into television, film, uh, and and more. So I, I'll definitely have to spend a little bit more looking at their capabilities. I hadn't paid attention to them before. Uh, available everywhere where fine VR is served is their their tagline for within. So we'll have to take, take a look at that. Well, we wanted to close out with an eye toward 2023. Yes, and we've just been talking about eyewear. And this is a link that I came across from uh, an author called Robin Sloan. And it is an issue of his newsletter called A Year of New Avenues. So it being a newsletter, it's, um, it's a longer form read. It, it immediately caught 
my attention because at the very start it talks about the fact that the platforms of the last decade are done. We're at a time of of change again in the sort of industry, but with with uh, big tech platforms, um, social media, and various other things. And of course, with everything that's happened in the last certainly in the last six months um, around social, this has immediately caught my eye. And he's talking here about why 2023 should could be really a year to explore new avenues, new, new try new things, look out new, uh, look at new ways of relating online. And what I found fascinating, there's a great paragraph, a uh, short way into this, that, that really caught my attention. And it goes like this. It is 2003 again. Facebook, Twitter and Instagram haven't been invented yet, except it's 2023 and they have, so you can learn from their rise and ruin. And now thinking as we have been recently as a group of co-hosts about how long we've been friends, how long we've been colleagues, how long we've um, worked together and done this show. And really it all started back in just after 2003, 2005, 2006. Uh, we've been sort of revisiting that era and we've lived through and watched these things happen in that period of time. Now, as it says, you know, we it, this doesn't mean that you should start a company and do something new. It's talking about avenues. So trying new things, trying a new browser, thinking about discovery, thinking about the Fediverse, thinking about video, thinking about RSS. Make a thing with which you can talk about a thing. And I just love this. It's such a beautiful piece of writing. It neatly uh, coincides with something that our friend Alexis shared with us as well around Mastodon and the Fediverse and how Mastodon's founder has been approached by multiple uh, VCs uh, and investors wanting to help him make it big. And he's been rejecting that and talking about uh, staying non-profit and doing things differently. What did you think of this year of new avenues and all the things I've just been talking about? I love it. At this time of year, uh, I I tend to get reflective and I, I look forward to the new year. And and one of the things I do on New Year's Day every year is I, I spend some time envisioning what the coming year will be and what it will do and, and doing some personal and personal goal setting uh, where, where I go through what I can do, what I should stop doing, what I should start doing and what I should continue doing. And um, this article really gives a lot of uh, notion here of uh, rummaging through the crate, you know, the, the idea of th there are some old things that are now newly usable in ways you hadn't thought about before, trying things that you hadn't tried before. So like the, the chat GPT and the stable diffusion and all, all those aspects, we do what we do here because we like to try things and we are, because we, tr we try the things, not everything we try is going to work. Not everything we, we think is going to be accurate and correct and complete. Uh, but it is by that level of experimentation, we get an opportunity to get a glimmer of insight that maybe some others haven't seen before. And to me, that's what we're striving to share on this podcast with our listening audience about, hey, uh, the Fediverse is different. It's new. It, it, it creates some additional opportunities and some additional problems. And we need to reach those, sort them out and figure out if it's going to serve our needs or if it's not, what might and how do we try that? Ironically, Michael and I, Michael Rowe and I have both been uh, setting up our own or trying, fiddling around with setting up small instances of Mastodon just to, to try them out at home recently. And and, and, and to be clear, we, when, when I mentioned Fediverse in that context and, and pulled in the story that Alexis has shared with us 
Uh, Robin Sloan here says Mastodon is not it. Mastodon is not the new avenue. It's an anti-avenue. It's an anti-avenue. It's a thing. It's not something he's into. Um, but uh, as you say, that he's kind of got a, a set of thoughts related to uh, ChatGPT as well. And I just thought, I just thought this story was uh, this piece of writing. It's rather than a story flowed so beautifully around all the things we talk about and the things that we've talked about specifically in the last two months. Really, it's definitely got me thinking. Definitely got me thinking and looking forward to to 2023 and uh, we're looking forward to fresh start and new things coming in the in the next few weeks absolutely and we're looking forward to your ideas and your trials and your successes and the ideas that you want to see exposed and explored to you know how to find us you can drop us a line any which way we'll may well talk about them here on the show uh and you know who knows maybe by by this point in time next year we'll have a few more things in our bag of tricks that uh, in 2023, December, we'll look back and say, wow, can you imagine how fast the environment, <laughs> the, the universe we live in has progressed from then until now? We'll end here for 2022 on what has been a pretty good year in a lot of respects. Looking forward with eagerness to the coming year, and we'd love to wish everyone in our audience, uh, past, present, and future, uh, a, a lovely end of the year and a wonderful beginning, healthy, happy, prosperous, successful, sustainable into 2023. So thanks, everyone, for listening and making this fun for us. Uh, Andy, any final words from you before we sign off for the year? I think that was wonderfully done, Michael. Thank you for that. Um, no, absolutely. I think there's lots to look forward to, and I'm certainly looking forward to hanging out and chatting with you more again next year. So thanks you all for joining, and uh, we will see ya. Bye. You've been listening to GamesAtWork.biz, the podcast about gaming technology and play. We are part of the Blueberry Podcasting Network, and would like to thank the band Random Encounters for their song, Big Blue. You can follow us on Twitter at GamesAtWork underscore biz or at our website at GamesAtWork.biz. Wild E. Coyote.